We're born into our names, but we become family by heart. I'm Dustin Gruss, public speaker and family transition coach. When my wife and I found out in the beginning of 2016 that we weren't going to be able to have our own biological children just seven months into our marriage, we were shook. Little did we know what lied ahead through our journey of infertility, foster care, and where we are now having recently adopted our two beautiful boys. What we do know is every little bit of help we got along the way was priceless. And that's what we can expect with this podcast. Stories of inspiration and resources to lead you through that journey. From the heartbreak of infertility to the hope and blessings that come with foster care and adoption. We may have different stories, backgrounds, and names, but we're all family here. This is Family by Heart. What's going on, family? Welcome to another episode of Family by Heart Podcast. I'm excited for my guest today. She is a foster parent turned adoptive parent turned foster parent coach and podcaster and author with a book coming out very soon. I'm very excited to have of Impressing Minds, Kristen Atkins. Kristen, welcome. Thank you so much for being here and joining me on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. This is actually the first um, podcast where I've been interviewed. Oh, I usually well, all right. Interviewing, and so thank you. Well, thank you. And and we actually uh, kind of got introduced pretty much through social media, us kind of both commenting on other people's uh, graphics and and whatnot yeah. and their content. And and once I read your took a look at your page and everything. I'm like, you know, I, I should reach out to her, see how the coaching is going. And, and we'll definitely get into that. But mm-hmm. definitely there was a lot of similarities for the both of us. And so I'm excited mm-hmm. to, to get into those and just kind of see what it is that, you know, you're doing for the foster community. Because it seems like a lot, especially based on your history, reading your bio and your, your web page and everything. So before we get into that, a little bit of a icebreaker. I like to ask mm-hmm. my my guests this season, what is something that your clients, readers, or listeners would be surprised to know about you? It's kind of a fun fact, something we wouldn't know about you otherwise. Um, I have three American bullies. Okay. And- We've had, they've had pups and we've had as many as 14 puppies at our house, oh, wow. 14 dogs at our house at one time. So, wow. Yeah. So you we must have dogs. a pretty, pretty big house for, uh, for having that many dogs and, and, uh, the number of foster kids and kids you've adopted and everything. So, yeah. but three bullies, that's awesome. I've, I've never had a bulldog, uh, had different dogs over the years myself, but, um, one that certainly changed our life is the one we have now. And that's our, our Eva. She's a, uh, boxer hound mix. And we got her when my wife and I were kind of in the acceptance stage of know it. Mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to have our own kids. Maybe it's just going to be just us. And then we got her and that kind of opened everything back up for us. So dogs are such a huge part of our lives. So it's awesome to hear that 
you've had the dogs in the family and they've had bigger families. So cool. Um, So obviously the big question here with what you do, how did you get into fostering? And as mentioned, you were a foster parent turned adoptive parent. Did you set out to foster only what, or was adoption a part of the plan uh, when you got into it as well? Well, it's actually both. So the first time we got into it, it was specifically to adopt. And I think um, the culture or whatever kind of looks down on that at, at this point in time or recently. It's more like fostering is the only option that you have, but we only wanted to just adopt. So the kids' rights were terminated and the social worker called us. We were on some kind of list and she called us for two children. So that was our first experience with foster care. Um, a year and a half later, we actually adopted them. So they were there for a year and a half before actual adoption occurred. And we had to take a long time to settle in with them before we felt an inkling or a, um, a call to do some more. Uh, the reason we got into it the second time was just because a friend of mine wanted us to do respite care for her. Mm. And so we were like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And so we redid our fingerprints and updated our license and all that. And so we actually did that respite, but we also got calls because we were on the foster list now for additional foster kids. We did, we had 24 kids over that two, that 10 year period. And so when the, the last call that we got, we had three girls. And so my husband, I, I, he said, we're not adopting again. And I said, oh, okay. And <laughs> one day I've been praying. I was like, oh God, I love these. Cause one, I got from the hospital, like these were little, little kids. Mm. The last one I got from the hospital and I said, Lord, if you want us to adopt, you'll have to talk to my husband. You'll have to put it on his heart and give him that nudge that, that we want to adopt because I do, but I don't want to be contentious or whatever. And one day the oldest of those three came to me and said, I'm done with my chores. Is there anything else you want me to do? And I was like, no, I think you're good. And she scampered off. And my husband was sitting there watching. He was like, you know, I don't think we could ever let these girls go if they come up for adoption. And I was like, really? And so once those three were officially adopted, um, the other set of siblings moved out and we closed our home because mm. we had too many kids. We were over the limit already. Yeah. So that's how it's started and ended kind of <laughs> so and just kind of circle back to like the fact that you guys planned on adoption all along and stuff mm-hmm. um what was that conversation like with with you and your husband who like did one of you approach the other about going through foster adoption and and what was that conversation like because certainly as you came around to the three girls um i think it's obviously very important that both sides of the family are on board, like both sides of the couple are on board with mm-hmm. both fostering and adopting. 
Um, and then also, I guess this is a longer winded question. Um, but the kids that you had already adopted the, the first two, they were probably older at that point since you had fostered over the course of 10 years. Um, what was their, what was that conversation like with them when he said, you know, we're going to adopt these, the three girls. Yeah. So originally we, I'm not sure what, the only thing I could say is like, maybe God just put a little hole in our heart. We had two bio biological children and they were both two girls. So we were just wanting to add to our family without going through pregnancy, actually. So that just kind of led the conversation of, I think we're ready to do this um, a different way, and, you know, expand our family a different way this time. And also we had grown up in a church where an older couple, I mean, they weren't really old. I guess they felt like they were old to me at the time because I was a child, but they did foster care. And so they would come and bring like six, seven, eight kids with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we grew up kind of watching that family. And I always thought maybe someday I want to do that. So we just kind of had some natural conversations all along. It wasn't like I wanted to do it. And I was trying to convince him to do it. You know, he and I both just had that little tug at our heart. And then the other thing was when we wanted to adopt the little girls, you know, we had pretty much said, you know, we're not adopting any more children. He'd let several children go to other families back to, you know, they had to go back to their biological family. Um, But we just kind of said, what if they come up for adoption? Would you all be, you know, willing to share your room, share everything, you know, forever, practically. And, oh, yeah, they were very excited. And especially because the baby, I mean, like, they had really bonded with her. Um, And so she was probably about a year old at that time. Mm. So it was just very, like, exciting. And, I mean, they love, we loved them from the very beginning. So Mm. it was kind of a relief, I think, for them, too. Yeah. Absolutely. So 24 kids over the course of 10 years, um, for someone that's considering getting into foster care, um, what's probably one thing that you think that they should know ahead of time getting into foster care? Like the, the biggest thing, cause, because with that 24 kids, my wife and I, our two boys were our second and third placement, basically, um, even though they're brothers. Um, you know, we we experienced heartbreak with the first ones going home, even though it was uh, it was more melancholy because they went back to bio family. But, um, you know, so the, there's obviously the, the ups and downs. But, you know, what's maybe the a big thing that sticks out in your head that... Um, people considering foster care should take heed with before they get into really go through all the classes and and everything that comes with foster care. Yeah. I would say having a comfortable, stable marriage Mm. beforehand, because 
it's very taxing um, physically. It's very taxing emotionally and mentally. And so if you don't already, if you're not 100% sure about your marriage and have a plan to go forward with like, we're going to spend time to ourselves and, you know, maybe go out on a date or whatever once a month or something. Um, that would be the biggest thing because it is taxing and then it takes mm-hmm. a toll on your marriage um, because you're just so busy and you're almost as a mom, you're so consumed with the kids and the case and the what ifs that um, it can make you almost obsessed with it. And so you're not wanting to work on the other things of your life, like marriage. Mm. So I would say a strong marriage would be the number one thing before you even approach the possibility. And how about the, um, the relationship, how it affected your relationship with your biological kids, having foster kids come into the home and, and how that whole dynamic worked? Um, I think they were really excited because in our situation, we decided to do only younger children than our youngest. And so it was always like, you know, little, little kids were coming to play and they could dress them up and they could, you know, dote around after them and play with them. And so they were really excited and on board and it made them feel, I think it made them feel mature and like they were needed um, a lot more than just being more self-centered as a child. I think they Mm -hmm. had to sacrifice a lot. So our relationship with them is very important as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Looking back, I probably would have had those like little play dates with them alone, you know, Mm. like taking them out special. um, Just like I would have my, or we did with our marriage, you know, purposefully worked on that. So you purposefully work on the, the, the kid, your firstborn kids, the first and second actually um, on that relationship and then get them out of the house with you alone and process Mm -hmm. things that are going on, like court cases, possibilities. What if this happens? They have to go back and, you know, that grief that comes with it, help them process that a little more purposefully. And and that's another one. How did the your biological children handle the grief as they saw these different kids come in the house, establish relationships and friendships with them, and then see them leave. Like, um, is there some things that surprised you with how your, your biological children reacted? And then, then also your two adopted children, how they reacted, um, your, your first two adopted, I should say once the others left. Yeah, I would say the older ones would, um, the biological ones would probably more or less grieve. And the adopted ones, um, almost one of them was almost kind of triggered, I think, about Mm it. And so we had some bigger issues that came up with that one child. And Mm -hmm. that may have triggered some some issues um 
but for the most part, they would just grieve and then we could kind of move on and take a break. I actually had one set of siblings that my girls, the, the, the second, third girl, were actually kind of excited that they left just because they didn't get along. Like mm. it was constant girl fighting and um, territorial. And so they were almost relieved when that sibling group left. Um, but it was just childish things, you know, it wasn't like yeah. they didn't like them, but it was kind of like just childish girl drama kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. What was the longest uh, placement you had that either returned home or moved on to another uh, mm -hmm. placement, moved to another foster home? Yeah, the longest placement we had was over two years. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And um, they were like, there were two boys. They were boys, of course. So they were, mm -hmm. you know, hyper or whatever. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I resemble um, that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and um, so after a while, like they were still having visits ever so often. And um, they, I think they were just in limbo. They just didn't really want to bond with us because they wanted to go home. Mm. And so it was a, a difficult time. Um, you know, but I really love them and like, you know, kiss them good night every night and try to play mom. But I know they really, um, they're, they're just really confused. I think about why am I still here? when they could go and visit with their parents, there was no really explanation for them that they could, that was a solid explanation or a timeline that they could follow. So that was really hard, but yeah. eventually they did go back with their bio dad. Um, you know, after two years, they had like maybe one, overnight visit or something and then it was like okay they're back they're going back <laughs> so that was actually kind of shocking at the time even though we mm -hmm. kind of expected it sure. um and where forgive me again where are you located like uh state and citywide yeah. like well we're in southern west virginia okay mm -hmm. okay right um and it, how has because uh, you have a little bit of a little bit of a twang i'll i'll say that i don't know okay people tell you I, to me you do i mean all right know, but just just a little bit like into one um yeah. are any of your um are any of your kids uh another uh race another okay yeah. cool and and how has that experience been as you've gone out in public because again i mm -hmm. asked that question here we are in February Black History Month, and yeah. I have a three a three year old that is uh, suddenly like taking a lot more notice to his skin color and how it's different from mom and dad's, and and really we're just trying to drive into him like you know that it doesn't matter what color you are, like your skin is beautiful stuff. Yes. So, um, but there's my wife and I get different reactions out in public based on it's both of us with them or if it's just one of us with them. And, and mm -hmm. so I'm just wondering what has your experience been uh, with your 
kids out in in public and everything okay um yeah so in public um it's so funny because i have my little girls with me and this was a couple years ago so she's probably like five years old and it was during mm -hmm. the day so my other ones may have been at school i would say but anyway um i just got quite a few looks from this one particular guy. I thought he mm -hmm. thought I was single and I had the little girl. And so he kind of followed me around the store a little bit, you know, kind of like, Hey, <laughs> want to go out or something. <laughs> and other times people do stare, especially when it's me and my husband or out mm -hmm. to eat or whatever. And I can just see it. But as soon as you look at them, you know, they are like, Oh, you know, I don't mean to stare, but I'm confused. So, yeah, we haven't yeah. really had any negative anything. It's just a little awkward or maybe confusing yeah. for them. And is there any, yeah, is there anything you are doing, like, for your kids in that? Like, are your kids kind of raising questions about, I mean, sure, they understand or explained mm -hmm. adoption to them. But, like, is there anything that you've had to kind of navigate differently as a result? Yeah. Of being a multiracial family. Yeah. So before, let's see, 2020, <laughs> we didn't give it much thought at all. Like, um, I, I really never thought about it. And during 2020, a lot of things came out that I actually just wasn't aware of. The um, Some of the systemic racism or... Mm -hmm you know, just how black people may be treated differently than I was. I didn't understand or realize that that was, that was going on because it, maybe it just wasn't shared with me because I have no reason to know until then. Um, I had one, there's a church service where one of our pastors who happens to be African-American um, gave a, a talk and shared some of his story of maybe profiling. I'm not sure exactly what he would call it, but maybe a little profiling and how he'd gotten pulled over and different things. And so that got me really thinking. And I reached out to him and his wife um, and asked them a few things. What should I, what should I teach my kids or what do I need to instill in them? And so they had some really good advice um, you know, we go to a church that has both black and white attending. Um, so that's another thing I kind of feel awkward about as they get older that, you know, where we go, I kind of notice now, are there mm. other black people here and how are they, how do they feel? Yeah. Um, so, you know, and they're really open about it we can we can talk about it and their hair you know their hair texture is different so we have to do yep. a lot of different um methods for that and um it's been a journey to learn how to do you know young ladies yeah. hair so yeah we've talked about it some and i'm sure as they get older we'll have even more conversations yeah, that, that's what we are kind of experiencing too and, mm -hmm. and understanding with our kids. And um, 
my wife works at a church and it's where we've been going for all this time, but it's a predominantly white congregation. I mean, mm-hmm. our two black boys are two of four colored people in our church and I love a church. I'm not knocking our church or our community by any means, but it's just not very diverse where we are. So we actually just visited a church this past weekend uh, that mm-hmm. is a predominantly white church or predominantly black church that merged together to have more of that diversity and influence um, together. And, and we just absolutely loved it. And we'll be, uh, I'll probably be attending with the boys more often myself um, mm-hmm. because of my wife working in the church. Um, so she can't really leave our church to go to this other one. Yeah. Um, but, but it was just a definitely unique experience and we're just trying to make sure we're, you know, integrating more influence and experiences and ideas and, and surrounding ourselves with more people. Cause I, you know, I, I grew up, um, in a city that's a good mix of, of white and black people and with a lot of black friends and, you know, even then, like I would hear some things, um, some profiling uh, and some treatments going on, but I didn't think much of it until as we were getting older and it seemed more common mm-hmm. and then really started hearing and seeing more things. And um, so it's it's definitely been a different experience. And now just being more aware of those kind of uh systems in place and the the fights that are going on um now it's just you know kind of worrying for my kids future but also doing our best to arm them and prepare them for for whatever is to come so yeah so it's good to get another perspective on that yeah exactly i had a my pastor's wife said that she uh, ran into an interracial couple once and was talking with them. And she said, she, the, the girl asked her if there's racism or something about that. And she said, no, I don't think so around here. And that the girl said, well, how would you know? And it's kind of like that. Like we, mm. I wouldn't know until right. I were presented with that situation and, and these circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Well, from the number of times that we've mentioned church and you've talked about your church, uh, mm-hmm. obviously we're, you're a believer and mm-hmm. um, it seems that you've turned your experience in foster care into an opportunity to help others uh, with coaching they're doing. How does your coaching of foster parents work? Well, right now I'm in the very beginning stages, so... Okay. I don't have a big, you know, huge coaching program that I follow. Basically, um, we'll have some conversations over the phone or via Zoom, and we can talk about kind of whatever the issues are that you're having, and I can kind of guide you as to, you know, whether this is normal, whether you should seek this type of therapist, or maybe try this, you know. Um, I had one lady actually from Mexico reach out to me recently regarding her, um, a group home that she is employed with, I think. And she has some issues. Uh, I had written an article on reactive attachment disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so at the end of the article, I just put my email there. And so she emailed me and then we got to talking about those attachment issues. But in Mexico, it's so different because I was telling her, you know, you need an attachment therapist. She needs to see the pediatrician. And she's like, that doesn't happen here. You know, I, they don't mm-hmm. see a doctor here. So I gave her some other strategies that would be just specific for her. Um, I've also kind of coached or just listened to um, another lady that was, she had like a biological kid. Then she had a, almost the same age adoptive kid. And so she was torn because she saw the her child, she kind of favored and the, uh, the foster child, she just wanted to unburden herself, I guess, with the feeling that maybe she favored her own child more. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of talk them through it and really encourage and explain that these kinds of feelings that you have are normal and kind of give some maybe examples from my own journey to alleviate some fears for keeping the kids forever Mm -hmm. perhaps, or, you know, so it's very individual coaching. It's not a huge systematic approach. And, and how it should be, obviously. I mean, yeah. it's, each system is going to, each system and each, each case, each person, each individual is going to be different. Their situation will be different. Their, the foster children they have in their home are going to be different. So mm-hmm. absolutely individualized is a great way to approach it. Um, is Has there been anything that's, surprised you so far in your coaching journey um that's kind of stuck out with any of your clients so far i know it's just beginning but yeah um actually i feel like uh it it's not picking up like i thought it would like i think i would have loved someone you know just to bounce these ideas off of and get some fresh perspective and just someone maybe to vent to, but mm-hmm. I, I would have loved that, but maybe it's just not something that other people need or they just don't know that I'm available or what. So, and you know, it's just social media, I guess. So that's pretty much where I am. I don't know. Yeah. If, you know, I don't know. If that's uh, and, <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I get that part of it. Um, Cause I've definitely, and this being my second season of my podcast, I've had individuals reach out to me and it, that paid attention to my wife and my story on social media, everything. And, it, and you know, it's you want to give good advice because, you know, the the goal here is helping children and helping families. And so you don't want to be like, oh, well, yeah, I can share my information for you for a price. Like, you know, like, right. like you feel terrible doing that um so it's it's been more like giving advice and and just kind of informing them experience you've had and and finding the correlation of turning that into okay what does a coaching really look like um it it seems like it would start out probably a little dry like i I agree there's things that we could have used someone's perspective a, a seasoned vet like yourself 
could use your perspective when we were in the thick of it, you know, four or five years ago. Um, Cause I remember like the first night of uh, with our first placements at one in the morning, my wife sobbing, did we make a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that was all because the three week old would not be still enough for us to get his swaddle on him to get him to calm down. And it's, yeah. it's emotionally and overwhelming. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is overwhelming. And, and just, you know, the things that go into, you know, getting ready, getting comfortable with, with your placement and, and letting them communicate to them how you are a safe space, how you are not just trying to take over their lives, how you want them to have happy, healthy lives that you, you know, just those kind of things that making sure that parents know how to do that. Plus, you know, those classes that we go through to get your um, foster license, foster mm-hmm. certification, they really don't prepare you for everything. They're great. There are a lot of great things you pick up, but I feel like we may, we probably got more from the continuing education classes we got versus what we did for our initial civil service to get licensed. I feel like there's more, um, if we could have flipped it and had more of those like actual things that we're really learning, um, that, I think yeah. that would have been more beneficial. So if that's what you're offering, I think seeing, talking to someone like you and myself would be a benefit to people just getting into foster care. Yeah, because the training, you really don't know unless you have, unless you're doing kinship, you already have the kids. You really mm-hmm. don't know what questions to ask. And so mm-hmm. they're just um, kind of on the surface trying to tell you everything they can quickly as possible or um, so they can get through so much information. And then after you get the kids, you're like, wow, I wish they would have told me more about X, Y, Z. And so then all these questions come up. So when you have additional trainings, maybe you have the opportunity to to talk to someone more specifically about your case or the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you also started a podcast uh, detailing different experiences and points of views uh, having to do with foster care. Uh, how's your podcasting experience been so far? And what can you tell us about your podcast that you think would maybe stick out or make it a great resource for people looking to get into foster care? Okay. Well, it is evolving like everything else. I'm just kind of getting started. So it's evolving. And what I really want it to be is um, just sharing general information to make foster parents realize that they're not alone and share some clips of the stories that I've experienced Mm -hmm. so that they have a, a general idea of this is kind of normal. Um, the first couple of podcasts, I think I did like how to get started maybe mm-hmm. now it's kind of evolving into, you know, interviews or more specific, um, topics. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully it'll be kind of a well-rounded podcast that you can just tune in and, and learn some snippets of ideas for, the kids in your home, like not necessarily discipline strategies, but maybe um, just practical how to or ideas to think about 
um, with foster care and the system, the foster care system. Mm. Sometimes we talk about that a little bit. Um, any like foster care podcast uh, or books that you've read that you uh, really have kind of transformed your perspective or maybe fed into more of what you're trying to get across as well? Yeah, we both of us talked about the blacks. Um, Justin yes, and Alex. Love Justin Alexis. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I love them. Like, I yeah. love that book. I felt like I was right there with them while they were going through, you know, the stuff in their childhood and their teen years. And I just, um, I, I just devoured that book, and it made me uh, almost more compassionate toward those those children in those situations because mm -hmm. I can hear someone was sexually abused. But yeah. when I read her book, when I read her section of the book, I could feel mm -hmm. what she was feeling. I, I think, you know, I, I felt better. I yeah. felt it more than yeah. just hearing while well, they were sexually abused when they were young. It made me feel something. Yeah. yeah. And in his experiences with violence in his community, I felt that like, it was really good um, for perspective of maybe when these kids get to be teenagers, they act a certain way because of the things that they've been through. It, it just made you understand a little bit better um, what they what they went through, but how it, their story is a lot similar to other children who have to enter the foster care system. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I love them. I kind of kept in contact with them since I uh, had Justin on my podcast last season. Mm -hmm. And they're just such a wonderful couple. Their story is, uh, I mean, just gripping and and heart-wrenching, but also heart-raising just to, mm -hmm. the, to, to see where they are now with their beautiful daughter and and their first children's book getting ready to come out in April. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful story of theirs and, and, you know, a, a testament to, to God and, and the way he works in our lives because uh, they're definitely strong believers and have um, really just put their faith in, at the forefront. And which is amazing, again, reading their story to see how God is so centered in their lives given everything they went through, like you would think a lot of people would probably like turn away from belief and turn away from yeah, God. Like how could we experience that? Die is what they would probably do. Yeah. Or just so. re, re, um, traumatize their, their children and it would just keep going. But they, it, I feel like they said, I make this decision. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to do right. this God's way. And so yep. it's just like a miracle. Yep. So, and lastly, mm -hmm. you have a book coming out soon. What can you tell us about your book that we should be seeing soon? Okay. Um, so this book is, remember how we just talked a few minutes ago about how your training, your initial training just kind of sprinkles across the surface. It doesn't get really mm -hmm. deep or anything. Um, there are some scenarios, but they're so cheesy almost, I feel like. Yeah. So my book would kind of dive deeper into 
each of the categories of things. For example, the reactive attachment disorder, not only what is it, but reasons that it can exacerbate any attachment issues. Um, why you should not really move the children unless you have a really valid reason because you're re-traumatizing mm. them every time they yep. move. So I wanted this book to be um, realistic in the fact of what you're getting ready to step into. You're getting ready to step into this war or battle and you need to be prepared. You know, we're supposed to be warriors. And so we need to prepare for our battle. And I feel like this, the things that I wish I had known before I started. So for over 10 years, I've been collecting these, these um, thoughts and I don't know, thoughts <laughs> into my head and about what I would have wanted to know beforehand. And so mm. I just compiled like discipline. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, like discipline. They, they tell you about discipline for like your toddler, you know, a minute per age or whatever the thing is, but is, is timeout really effective? And right. is it going to work on a 13 year old? Like, no, you have to have so many tools in your toolbox that you can yeah. pull from uh, that they don't have time to, you know, explain all the different mm -hmm. methods that you could utilize. Um, and then I talk, I have a whole chapter on um, loss. And mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite chapters because I actually took scenarios from people that I knew, well, kind of I their acquaintances, um, from foster parents who had children, uh, I want to say ripped away from them um, mm. as foster parents. So it was traumatic for them because in some instances they didn't get to say goodbye. In some other mm. instances, they had three hours, you know, to pack up the kids so they could move somewhere else. And, and so it was just, you know, gut wrenching to read yeah. and, understand that this could happen. Like they could make this decision to move the child, put the child mm -hmm. back with their family. You don't have time to prepare. And then how would you, if you could prepare the, the child for this move um, mm -hmm. without speaking negatively about the system or, or whatever. Um, so that, yeah. that's really my, one of my favorite chapters because I have real life scenarios mm -hmm. that I found. Yeah, that's that's definitely one that would uh, I know would hit me. I'm 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 a softy. I'm definitely a, a emotional guy. And when our first placement, when they were going back to their biological family, uh, I had to work that night. I was working in personal training at a gym, and and it was probably the best thing for me that I was working that night because it distracted me. I I said goodbye to them before they were before they left and um and then as a personal trainer i got to kick a bunch of people's butts that night and make mm -hmm. them pay for my heartbreak so mm -hmm. um sorry to those people but mm -hmm. uh it but and and that still is something that sticks with me so i can imagine the that loss is something that those people those stories that they felt because you know we 
you often don't get to stay in touch with the kids that you once fostered. It's usually up to the family. Um, and unfortunately we did not, we, we left the, the family, our, our information stuff. And we haven't heard from, we heard from their caseworker once when we were doing a, a visit with our now adopted son a, a few months later and heard that things were going well, but, mm. um, haven't heard or seen since. And it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was definitely a relief, but also thinking about, you know, that they, where they are in age compared to our two boys and, mm-hmm. and then going places like one of the kids in my son's preschool class has the same name as our first yeah. foster daughter. And it's like, uh, like, no, that's, no, that's not her. That's not yeah. her. So uh, it's, it's definitely for us is um, birthdays. We still are like, oh, this is so and so's birthday, you know. Yeah. Remember when we had the party for so you know? So oh yeah, it sticks with you forever. It's just like you know. Yep. Yep. So, um, so how was that experience writing your book? Would you approach it differently next time? Uh, if you're to write a follow-up book, like maybe a book on adoption, uh, since you adopted five of your placements that you had, um, how, how would you approach it differently? Um, I don't, I don't know that I could approach it differently because I'm just really, um, I, I just, I, I took an outline, I did a mm-hmm. brainstorm, I did an outline, and then I just wrote. So I really mm-hmm. don't know any other way to write, I guess. Um, but I really would have like hired an editor earlier and mm-hmm. you know, been doing one chapter at a time and like maybe perfecting that chapter before going on to all these other thoughts that I have. So mm-hmm. I might have done one chapter and and perfected it almost before moving on to another topic. But I have all these topics like that I want to tell people about. <laughs> so I want yeah. to write everything down and it may not been have been the best approach. Yeah. But you still wrote a book. So what can yeah. I say? I, I haven't wrote a book. Coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so when when uh what's the name of the book and when is the release date for it? Yeah, it's called called to foster um so i named it that because i feel like i had this calling and Mm. like you probably felt this calling and so i really feel like it's a calling if it's not a calling it'll kind of be short-lived and Mm. um, you'll be miserable Um, and i do not know exactly when the release date is i'm still working out some timeline issues but you, if you're interested in the book they can go to my website which is okay. kristenadkins.com and okay. there's just a place to sign up awesome yep great well kristen thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your your knowledge uh with us and I just really enjoyed talking with you about Mm -hmm. everything and just congratulations on your family, on the coaching, on the podcast and your book when it does come out. I just thrilled for you and and just thrilled to have you part of the family of Family by Heart. So thank you so much and wish you the best going forward. 
Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And it was a fun experience. Thank you. Well, good. Well, thank you. And for everyone else, uh, definitely be on the lookout for Called to Foster. Again, you can go to her website. I'll put that address in the show notes, but it is kristenadkins.com. And remember, it doesn't matter what your background is, where you come from, who your family is now. We're born into our names, but we're all family here. This is Family by Heart. Till next time.